The following is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to Life as a Life Schooler, where we talk about how to merge life with homeschooling. I'm Danielle Papadorcio, and today we are talking to Karen Campbell. Since 1985, Karen Campbell has been involved in homeschooling as a mom to her own six children and as an advocate for countless homeschooling moms who appreciate her transparency and encouragement. A writer and speaker, Karen holds a BS in Human Relations and Secondary Education from Judson University and lives on the Illinois Prairie with Clay, her husband and best friend of 44 years. Welcome, Karen. I'm so happy we finally were able to get our schedules coordinated, and get you on the show today. Hi, Danielle. I'm enjoying just sitting here, getting ready to talk to you. We're getting some snow, and I'm kind of enjoying this, hoping that it doesn't last long, but it's beautiful, and so very relaxing, cozy day. Good day to talk about kids. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds very cozy and nice. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting how you and I got connected, because... I actually went to college with one of your daughters, Molly, and so we had connected on Instagram, and then just through her account, I came across your page, and I was like, oh, I didn't even realize, first of all, that Molly was homeschooled, or that her mom was a homeschooling pioneer who was a speaker, and, and you've written a book, so it was just a really neat kind of surprise. Well, homeschooling was kind of foreign when we started. We had taken our children out of public school at Christmas time. Um, Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, We started homeschooling in 1985. In our early years of parenting, when we had three little toddlers, my husband and I would talk about possibly homesteading, getting some acreage. We even looked at some land, and we thought, well, we would part of that might be homeschooling. We did not know any homeschoolers. It would be really weird. We did not shy away from weird. We thought that maybe this would be an adventure for our family. But, you know, time goes on, and I started doing some substitute teaching. I have a teaching certificate, and, of course, everyone was cheering me on. You've got to get involved as a sub. Maybe you can start teaching. Look for an open position. So things sort of changed. They just sort of took on a life of their own. In the meantime, we were really growing spiritually. We started reading a lot of Francis Schaeffer. We started developing a biblical worldview, which we had not really had before, in a complete one. And it just seemed to us that the education, as time went on, the education of our children needed to be part of that. But the bottom line was we just really missed them. I yeah. I cried when the school bus came to get Molly. I don't think there was a day that went by that I didn't cry about that. I was so missing her. So then a few years went by and we had a son in kindergarten. But he started school where he, he was supposed to start. They said, you've got to start school in September He would not even be five until the middle of November. The cutoff day was the 1st of December back then. Hmm. And, oh, I knew he was smart. I just thought, he's a little boy, and he wants to play, and he's so creative. I don't think this is a good idea. My gut told me that. He went on to school, and about six weeks in, the teacher called me and said, I think he'd be happier if he waited a year. (laughs) And, you know, My first thought was, oh, dear, I have a child who's flunked out of kindergarten already. (laughs) Because that's world's views, you know. Right, right. But we had seen in him just just kind of a sadness about him. And so we brought him home. And he hadn't really been eating a lot for supper. It was unusual. That night he ate three or four tacos, and we were shocked. (laughs) And we said, this is the best move we've ever made. Well, providentially, the Lord put the writings of Dorothy and Raymond Moore in our hands, and we started reading about homeschooling, and we said, this is something we want to do. 
And it wasn't something we started for a couple more years, but when we knew it was time, we just did it. The Lord really convicted us. We brought them home. There were no homeschoolers anywhere in our county, hmm. except for there was one family. And they moved away. <laughs> so it was pretty lonely in the early days. We had to be pretty creative. But I look back on those days, and I'm so grateful because it really established just a foundation for what it meant to be parents for us and what it meant to be a family and those relationships that were honed between siblings that are still very firm today. One of our sons, the same son, went on to law school, and he has a law firm, and he recently wanted for years, he's wanted to be near his brother. His brother came to work with him. So I mm. see these relationships, and I am very grateful because the Lord brought us through the very early years of public education and our fumbling around as parents to the point where we saw homeschooling was the best thing we could do. Well, I just love that you stepped out in faith like that because, I mean... <laughs> You know, we can kind of, I guess, sometimes feel like we're walking to the different, a different, bit of a different drum as homeschoolers these days. But back then, I mean, to be the only homeschooling family, you had to really not care what people thought of you and just, just really walk by faith. So, well, it's interesting because in those early days, we had a lot of champions. Interestingly enough. When we decided to homeschool, we said, well, we want to tell our parents, we want to start right now. We want to pull them right out of public school right now at Christmas time. But if we talk to our parents and they're opposed to that, then we're going to wait till next year so we have this year to show them we're prepared and can do this. Well, first we went to my um, in-laws and we, Clay talked to them. They were in Michigan. We talked to them on the phone, told them what we wanted to do. And my mother-in-law was thrilled. Mm. And through the whole process of homeschooling until the day she died, she was my biggest champion. And so that was kind of surprising. She said she'd read an article somewhere about home education, and she thought this would be something wonderful for kids. So we talked to my parents, who lived near us, and they were very supportive the first thing my dad said was, well, I did meet a homeschooler once. He said, clear out in the middle of the country. He'd been called to work on appliances there. And there was a boy who was so intelligent and courteous and just inquisitive. And my dad was so impressed with that. And that was his impression of homeschooling. I'm like, where are these people? <laughs> but it was, it was the Lord really answered and spoke through our parents that, and always, they were such champions, and I think that was what made it possible for us to homeschool when there weren't many people around. And as time went on, there was some hostility. Mostly it came from Christians, which is a sad thing. Yeah. But, you know, when we backed out of programs at church because we knew they would conflict with what our goals were, we got a lot of grief over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... You know, you have to make your choices, and in retrospect, I'm so thankful that that's what we chose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, too, a lot of times we do get more negativity from Christians because, um, honestly, sometimes I think there's a conviction maybe going on there, and and I think they feel condemned by, um, you know, the whole idea of, they just, they just take it on as though we're saying you should homeschool and you're not doing a good enough job as parents if you don't homeschool. So I think there's a hypersensitivity to there maybe. I agree. And I that one time we had heard some really negative things came back to us about homeschooling and even some outright things that were said. And so one year for May Day, I had told the kids, we need to make May baskets, and let's find some people that we could really bless with this. I remembered being a little girl, and there were twins that lived in town, and every year they made May baskets and brought them to my house. And we knew because we saw them drive away, but they secretly put it on the door. <laughs> so 
the kids and I made these beautiful baskets. They loved the project, put some little trinkets in it, some candy, I think. And we took them early in the morning to the homes of these women that we knew were so upset about homeschooling. And we did not ever tell them that, now see, they're probably not listening to your podcast. They will never know. (laughs) (laughs) And left them on their doors and just wanted to bless them secretly. And, you know, that really made a difference for my heart to have a good attitude toward these ladies. And I wanted my children to not be bitter and angry about those things. I wanted them to recognize that people are not always going to understand what you are doing what your choices are. Right. So that's neat. Well, and I think the family support makes such a difference because I was thinking about that the other day too. We're also very blessed, my husband and I, to have full support on both sides of our families. Um, I mean, my mother-in-law is always very pro-homeschool and sharing things with us, and and she did not homeschool my husband or you know the rest of the kids. But she's just seen what a benefit it's been in our family. And my parents are, are both former college professors. So for just to have the support from them as well, I don't think that's very common when you have somebody that's in education like that for them to be supportive. So I think it has made a real difference in ways probably that I don't even recognize, just to feel that support. Yes, you know, it really... It makes your day go so much better if you don't have to have fight all of the battles outside of the home because there's already a lot of spiritual warfare going on inside the house. And right. you sense that sometimes that you're just up against a spiritual wall and there's a battle going on. And I know that when that happens, it's very, very real. I, I just, the spirit shows me that that's what's going on. And so... You overcome those things. The Lord overcomes those things, and you just have to get up the next day and persevere. Mm-hmm. And I, I've learned so much. A year ago, I had a stroke, and I'm still relearning a lot of things. But the one thing is, it I learned from homeschooling. The next day is new with no mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just yeah. get up and go, and you have to persevere. Absolutely. That's great. Well, I love what you said, too, about your children being so close. That's one thing that I'm seeing now, the fruits of homeschooling and of really prioritizing, not just homeschooling, but the key is those relationships like you talk about and prioritizing those. It pays off because my kids now, my oldest two are 17, my son, and then my daughter is just turned 15. And then I have another son who's seven, so he's kind of down the way a bit. But the older two, they'll tell you they're like best friends. And I just think it's such a, such a huge blessing because that's not that common, um, particularly with kids that are not around each other all day because they're in, in uh, public school. So I just feel so blessed. That's one of the, the biggest things to me about homeschooling, one of the biggest benefits is the relationship. And I just feel so blessed by that. Um, and that's why I was so excited to read your book, too, by the way, just because your book, I'll just share with our audience, is called The Joy of Relationship Homeschooling. And it's so key, and I've just enjoyed every page that I've read. It's it's hard to put down. Well, you know, what really spurred me on to write, I started blogging, and my husband was always from behind the scenes saying, you need to put this all in a book form. Mm-hmm. Well, it was hard because I I want to be very transparent and I'm still learning so many lessons. And so mm-hmm. I go back and I say, uh, was I ready to write this? But I think that the whole premise of the book is that we have the tools in our in the Word of God, we have all the tools we need. Bible tells us we have everything we need for life and godliness. Right. And that doesn't mean that we don't teach our children math and science and those kind of things. That's important. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what the core is of what the Lord wants for us, we have all the commands in Scripture that are the one and others. And it occurred to me, 
if you start looking at each one of the one another's in scripture, depending on uh, which, which version of the Bible you're using for that phrase, you come up with about 51. A lot of those one another's are love one another. But there are different words used for love, different Greek words. So you have to do a little digging, and that's what I tried to do for people to see and open up those one another's and see how they apply to how we build those relationships in our home. And if someone gets married now and I'm invited to a shower, with my gift I always print out a copy of those one another's of scripture and I encourage people to put it maybe inside a closet door or a kitchen cupboard door and when you have a conflict go back to those one another's and say hmm which of these did I not do and how can I respond to somebody who maybe didn't do that for me didn't treat me that way and it starts with the husband and wife and then applies to children and as time goes on, you start to see that you don't really need a whole pile of parenting books. You need to just go back to the Word of God. And, and those relationships, I believe those one another apply to each other. Mm. And one day, uh, a young woman who was a friend of Molly's had written on her blog how she had come away from a, a Easter uh, Ash Wednesday service with her daughter and how she just happened to catch a, gl a glance in the back in her rear view mirror of her little girl sitting in the back seat who had the ashes put on her forehead and she said it occurred to her that her daughter was her sister in Christ mm -hmm. and that was a major life-changing moment for me because if our children are really our brothers and sisters in Christ, then how do we respond to them? And I think the one another's are the answer to that question. Hmm. Yeah, that's such an amazing thought. I've had that. That was kind of an epiphany for me too. I thought that same thought at one point in my parenting. Like, wow, you know, we we do have to. Um, there's certain things as parents that we do have. To to do where we are an authority over them. But when you really think about the fact that they also are our brothers and sisters in Christ, it just puts a whole different spin on it. It, it For me, it helps me to see them more as equals in Christ. Although I'm above them, they're equal to me in the eyes of God, spiritually speaking. And yes. it's a very humbling thought. Well, it gives us so much more responsibility as a parent when we look at things like that. I come back to the scripture where Jesus, where Jesus, we're told, is it's his kindness to us that brings about repentance. Mm -hmm. And I think so often people think that if you're more harsh and authoritarian and unbending and unyielding as a parent, that's going to bring, bring about repentance. Mm. And But yet, how does Jesus change our hearts? And that just, that verse too just, just um, was just such a, you use the word epiphany, it was for me to think of, you know, that I'm responding to the kindness of the Lord who's saved me through his mercy and his grace. Right. And so, I want to be able to be that person that can extend that not only to my children, but my grandchildren and other children that I come in contact with. I do the children's storytelling at my church now. And these are the sweetest little kids, but, you know, they're lively and rowdy. <laughs> and I think every time when I've got 15 of them, and last month I gave them all kazoos, which was really <laughs> delightful. <laughs> This is what happens when you become a grandma. And, and so they were just delighted. And you want to bring delight to little children. And I want to extend that to them so that as I share the gospel with them, which I do every single lesson, that they will see through me that it's grace and kindness that's extended to them. So 
I want to um, maybe jump in here. I don't know if you're going to ask. Maybe I just better wait to yes. Oh, no. You go ahead and share what you want to share. I'm all ears. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about individualized learning for your children. And I think this is so very important. And this is part of the relationship aspect. One time my husband was at work and his boss's wife had stopped in and they were chatting and she was asking my husband who had been in the military if one of her sons should think about the military. And she was trying to be a helpful mother and guide him and so forth. And Clay said, well, tell me about your son. Well, as she described this young man, very artistic, loving music, very gentle in his spirit, and not very interested in sports or any kind of athletic thing. And my husband said, well, I'm just not really sure that this is the kind of kid that's going to want to go into the military. He said, Tell me about your son. What delights your son? And that woman could not tell Clay one thing that delighted her son. Hmm. And he came home and shared that story with me. And I thought it was so interesting because, you know, you would think by the time you've lived in a home with someone for 17 or 18 years, you might know something that delights them. But in our home, I think we probably knew a hundred things that that delighted each child. And with each one, it was just a matter of if they were interested in something, being sure that we had lots of books on that topic or watched a movie or we did some, um, well, we love documentaries. So when Netflix first came out, I can remember we could hardly keep up with um, getting enough of those if there was a subject someone loved because there were so many great documentaries. And this was the kind of thing that we tried to do, take them someplace to see something. I will give you an example. With my son that I mentioned to us in kindergarten, he was so interested when we had our first computer. We had a little Mac Classic. It was so such a long time ago, <laughs> early time of home computers. And we had this little tiny one. And it came with a game that you played that had a P-51 Mustang airplane. And so he was so interested in that. He loved the game, but he wanted to know about this aircraft. He started studying World War One, World War Two. We made a trip over to Ohio to the uh, Air Museum in Dayton, Ohio. He had a paper out. He had saved his money. He bought a couple hundred dollars worth of books, which is a lot of books. Mm. <laughs> wow. And then all that he brought money on these things about aircraft, brought this home, just absorbed that. But then he started to wonder, well, why were people at war? So he started studying the history and then the politics of it. And then he wanted to become an attorney. Mm. And all of that started with that first interest that we just kept feeding. Mm. Same thing with Molly. When she was about eight or nine, she could not stop playing the piano at my mom's just for fun. Mm -hmm. So that year, Clay and I decided we would use his whole Christmas bonus to buy a piano. And that's what we did. And we brought it home. And she was on the piano three or four hours a day. And by the time she was in high school, she had 50 or 60 students. They just kept coming after school every day. And then, so she had an income that she could use to play or to take uh, cello lessons. And then we got her a better teacher piano, and then she went to school and studied piano. That was her degree. So you know you can just follow each child. We have two boys that are just very much salesmen people, and my husband being in sales recognized it, and that's what they do now. So you hone in on those things that delight somebody. Mm-hmm. But when you're homeschooling, everybody gets in the show. And so wow, that son that was interested in politics ran for county board when he was 18. Oh, wow. Didn't win. But I found the other day a picture of us, all of us in these T-shirts, marching in the parade for him. 
the whole family gets involved and enjoys the, the, the light-centered learning of each other. And that's what I think is at the heart of homeschooling is the relationships and they, they take time and they mean that you have to actually be in your house with each other for these things to happen. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the things that saddens me is homeschooling just seems to be, seems to be becoming more like school at home more and more. And so many people, the minute they start homeschooling, they look for co-op. How can we get our children back out of the home again? And, you know, not there's, that there's anything wrong necessarily with doing that, but I just love what you're sharing with me about what it looks like in your home because this is my heart. I just feel like every child is so unique and so individual and has such a specific purpose that God gave them that if we're not spending that real incubation time, basically, um, getting to know them and seeing what gifts are there and really encouraging those. I just love what you said about how you invested in your children's gifts and their interests. I just think that's so key to a really good education, and it's, it all flows from that relationship aspect and really knowing our children. Well, it does, and I, when we started, of course, there were no co-ops, and with the older three, we have a gap of eight years between the first three and the younger three, and by the time the, the younger three were older, there were some co-ops, nothing close by for us, but we, I was asked if I would do, because I'd been involved in Toastmasters, if I would do public speaking classes for kids at the co-ops that were around. And mm-hmm. I made the, the deal that if I could bring uh, each one of the kids at different times to those classes and let them be part of that, that I would do it. And it was a, an easy thing for me to put it together. One of the groups that we did this with enjoyed it so much, I had about 20 kids, that they asked if we could do it again the next year. Well... There is nothing more delightful than 20 homeschooled kids talking about their lives. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoyed every moment of that. It's hard to do public speaking when you just have a couple of kids. Right. So that was one thing that I thought, this is really a great thing I can get behind for co-op. Mm-hmm. I understand, too, if you have kids, and this is not all kids, so you have some kids that need the advanced math or advanced science Mm -hmm. that are very much oriented toward college, then I can understand some of the co-ops that have become very much like a, a, almost like a Christian school, but one day a week or two Mm -hmm. days a week. I understand that. I think we have to step back, though, and recognize, because I, I go back and say, I could not have taught advanced math my husband could, he and but we did not do that with all of the kids. Not everybody needed that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to evaluate what somebody's going to need for the future, where their where their heart is, where their talents and gifts are, and think that through before you decide you're gonna put somebody in co op to take those classes because you feel the pressure that everybody has to have that. Mm-hmm. So, and I also think there are a lot of good things for online learning that you can do now to fill those gaps that you don't have to put your children. And co-op can be expensive, oh, thousands yeah. of dollars now. Right, right. And then the influences that are just, you know, it's so similar to school oftentimes, um, which is, is one thing that I know a lot of homeschoolers, myself included, it's part of the reason that, we don't have our children in schools because you can't, you don't really know who's there, what their background is, and, you know, you just have to be so careful. Well, I agree. You have to be really wise about peers, and there were times that we we were not as wise or did not get what was going on, but I think that you can't take kids away from all peers. I think you have to feel, anytime you decide, I've got to take this away from a child, you need to fill it with that that spot with something better. 
right. and something that they can see a little glimmer of that's better. I think that's very hard for people to do. But I'll tell you, we had a lot of, I don't know, maybe a lot of, but we, we looked for people who were older, people who were maybe even older than us, grandparent era people, who had different things that they could share with our kids, that we could build some of those relationships. And when our boys were so interested in military history, we found some veterans from World War II who were just more than happy to talk their ears off. <laughs> and I, we used to joke, some of these boys, their best friends were 80, you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that was good. And I think the other thing that is so important that our time gets filled up with these activities, but I really believe service to others, which is one thing that the Moors taught was important, mm -hmm. is really crucial. And if you look at your life with your family and homeschooling and you say, I don't have time to go talk to the neighbor next door or mow her grass. I don't have time to listen to the old lady at church talking to me. I don't have time to take care of grandma who's sick. Then you have got a time problem. Yes. We have got to be able to minister. And I know when our children got to know some people in church, there was a lady who had cancer. And we said, oh, she didn't have much of an appetite, but we wondered if she might like homemade bread. So we baked bread and took her a loaf. And, you know, she told us, or her daughter-in-law told us, that was the only thing that she could eat after her chemo sessions, that she was so thrilled. So every week we would pull up in front of her house when we knew she'd had chemo, and the kids would take her a loaf of bread. Yeah. That developed a heart for other people. When my parents started having health issues, our older kids would take turns staying with with my parents, one of them at a time. I'd take them. They lived only 10 miles away. But we would take the schoolwork. They'd take whatever they had that they were working on and go and stay with Grandma for three or four days and then come back. Eventually, when my dad passed away, my mom came to live with us. And the older two boys said, well, Grandma's going to need her own room, so we'll just move in with three younger boys. So we had five boys with these bunks in one big room. Wow. And there was a big age difference, you know, between right. the older and youngers. And they said, well, Grandma likes blue. We're going to paint her room blue. And Grandma came to live with us, and she ended up living with us for 19 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, that was our youngest was um, three when she came. And we look back on those years as being some of the best of our homeschooling because mm -hmm. she became part of it. She she loved watching the documentaries with us and then talking about things that she knew. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget her saying, we were just sitting around the breakfast table one day and just we'd watch something, some history documentary, and she just piped up, Oh, I remember the morning I came down and opened the newspaper and saw the picture of Mussolini hanging upside down on the front page. Oh. And we're just like, oh, she lived through that history. Wow. So it was a value to us. But, you know, it taught our children what service to others looks like. And I just think this is part of home education that might be missing in a lot of homes today. Yes. I totally agree because we get so caught up. Again, we're not focused on the right thing, the first things first, which is relationships. And you think of what did Jesus stress in the Bible? It was, you know, what are the two most important commandments? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. So if we're not teaching those first two commandments as the primary thing in our home schools, then what good is all the rest of it? It all hangs off of that. That's right. Absolutely. I agree completely. So I, those are the things that everything else hinges off of. And a lot of that comes back to faith, and I talk about this often, is just that element of faith that we are all 
having to to walk out in our homeschooling. And I saw this play out recently um, just in our own home. We, my daughter has struggled a lot with her health over the past year in particular, and we really have not been able to do a lot of academics with her. And when I say not a lot, I mean like almost zero because she just hasn't been in any condition to do that. And so I've had to just let that go and not push because the primary importance is relationship and her relationship with the Lord and our relationship. And if I push too much, that is very stressful to her. But, you know, the other day it was so amazing because she felt good enough to do some things and felt like she could handle some math. And fractions have always been her nemesis. <laughs> So she just decided on her own that she wanted to learn fractions finally and really get that down. And she spent hours literally for probably three or four days just hammering away at fractions and really got the hang of it. And then she was excited. And I share this with people because it's so important that we remember that children really do love to learn. And they may not love every single subject, but even subjects like math, that she's not super crazy about, at least not fractions in particular, but she wanted to learn that because there is a, there's a sense of self-satisfaction when, when they master these things. And I think we have to really remember that as parents as well. Well, I also think, too, that we should never use the phrase grade level. That's one yeah. of my pet peeves because <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And this was something I learned the first year of homeschooling, that all of these things that I had learned when I was studying at education in school, that all those things that I learned didn't mean anything. <laughs> and I mean, I say that very truthfully because, you know, we're looking at individual people who have a different growth rate about everything. We learn to do things at a different speed. I'll tell you what one thing that happened to me through this stroke. I was paralyzed completely on my left side. Mm -hmm. And as I was starting to come back and getting some of the rehab, and I still have a long ways to go, but when I was going through the rehab in the hospital, fabulous program, but... Every little thing I started out, because I was paralyzed, I couldn't move. I was like a baby. Mm. And then the next thing was the learning to redo things like using the bathroom, having the, that kind of control. I was a toddler, you know, and then I moved on a little bit more. And physically, it's just been like that for me. It's reminded me so much of what it was like having a baby and then children. And I was so convicted and how many times I was not patient enough because each child's little body is doing something differently and you learn to go to the bathroom differently and we shouldn't push and say, oh, you have to go right now. Well, you don't want to be put in the bathroom until you have to really go. I've learned that. <laughs> and um, to the chagrin of some nurses maybe. And then you have, you have, learning to read again I had about a month where my vision was just wonky and glasses weren't good and it was very frustrating mm -hmm. and when Molly came to visit she downloaded a good bible app for me so I could just listen I didn't have to read mm -hmm. and then those things came back well each of my children learned to read at a different speed and I've had some that were very quick about some things and slower at other things. And we have to learn to be patient. We have to learn that God is the one that created those kids. And not everybody is going to learn to read when they're four or five or six. Right. And longer. Some people it takes longer. Same things with math. And I think sometimes children don't want to learn something until they see why they might have to use it. And we have to kind of stay a step ahead of them to see, provide things like like fractions. Well, we learn to use those when we're baking. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have to be clever and think about the way a child is made, but never think that we have to just push, push, push. And I remember a family just, they could not wait to get their kids out of the house and they're going to graduate at 16 or 17. We're homeschooling, we're going to graduate then. And I always wondered, why? Why would you do that? Because really, when you think about it, when young people are 18, their their ability to reason, of course, physically, your frontal uh, cortex is not really developed fully till you're 25. They really don't have full reasoning to them. That's why would you send them all to a college when no one has full reasoning? <laughs> you think about those things, it makes sense. Yeah. Or does it make sense? But anyway, when you're 18 to 20, you're thinking about what you want to study, what you, things you might be interested in, a career path. And then you get a little bit older and you're thinking, making all the major decisions of life. Where am I going to live? What kind of car am I going to drive? What kind of job do I really want to have? Who do I want to marry? And these are huge decisions. The biggest decisions of your kids' lives, why would that be when you pulled away? That should be the time we are the closest Mm -hmm. and want to help mentor them through that process and or help find them other mentors that might you know, godly mentors that can help them through those things, like, you know, career choices and things. But there's no reason to be pushing and rushing and saying, we've got to get this kid to this point. And some kids are ready earlier than others, and I've I've seen the whole spectrum right in my house. Yeah, I'm sure. It, It really is amazing when you just kind of allow that learning to happen like you said, when they're ready. And even this experience with my daughter, it it kind of surprised me, even though I know that a lot of times it'll work this way, where all of a sudden they're ready to learn it and they'll just take off with it. Um, But just to see that, it was really an affirmation to me that we don't have to push like we think we do. And that doesn't mean that that you can be lazy. It doesn't give us an excuse to just kind of, oh, whatever. Um, Right. But, you know, I think I think more often than not, most moms are on the other extreme of, of wanting to push and having the schedule and, and really wanting to stick with that with each child as though they're all the same somehow. And they're not. They're really not. <laughs> well, and I think, too, one thing that helped me, because once we had little people again, things got a little crazy. And it would be frustrating to not be able to finish everything in my planner. Mm -hmm. And I had another homeschool mom who'd been doing this a little bit longer than me when I met her. She said she got to the place where she would do journaling at the end of the day, write down what did they learn that day. She had an overall idea what they'd want to learn, but wait till the end of the day and write it down because then she never felt like a failure for not accomplishing everything on her list. Mm. You know, if you have a three-year-old throws up, you can't just keep going. (laughs) And so you have to accommodate everybody. And that's, we, one thing we did when we had little people, this might be helpful. We would have, we had one who was just absolutely out there. This kid, you could not keep him in. You could not keep him contained. He was just unbelievable. I had one of those. Oh, my goodness. We had to put these huge locks up way up high, way higher than he could ever reach so he couldn't escape the house. And so we assigned one child to work with the little kids while I did things with the older two. And we would rotate, and we went to what my husband called the shift schedule. And it worked really well because then... No one felt neglected and things got accomplished. But yeah, it's you have to be flexible every day. Yeah, and you know that also shows value to your children. Yeah, that you're willing to be flexible to help them accomplish good things. That's true because part of that is is patience and love is patient. That's 
my favorite verse lately. Uh, <laughs> I'm really focused this year. That's kind of my verse, my um, word for the year is love. And I'm constantly finding myself doing, I'm not a very patient person all the time. <laughs> and so I just, I'm constantly thinking of that verse, love is patient. Because every time that I show impatience with my children, I'm really showing them that I don't love them. And that's a very convicting thing when you think it about it. It really is. Well, yes, and, and I love the next part of that verse, of love is patient and kind. Kind. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing to me that this has probably been my word for many years. I want to demonstrate kindness. Mm-hmm. And I think that opens the door to many other things with your children. And Yes, that's so true. So share with us a little bit more. I want to hear a little bit more about those high school years because I think those are the years that probably put more fear into a homeschooling mother's heart than any other time. And I don't know if all your kids went the college route or if some did and some didn't, but what did that look like for you? Because, um, you know, I know in our home, my children currently don't have, they don't feel that the Lord is calling them to that college route. So we do things well, we just kind of continued the whole life schooling journey. Um, you know, I'm not super strict on particular classes that they need to do just to do. I mean, if it doesn't pertain to what they, the path that they're going down, then, you know, we just don't particularly see the relevance. But what did the high school years look like for you all, and how did you um, kind of navigate through those? Well, this is interesting very similar to what you just described, we would see what somebody's strengths were. When we started homeschooling, we decided there were certain things that everybody had to do. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to be literate in certain things. And that circle was kind of small. You know, it included things like reading, writing, and arithmetic, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the next level out. What are some things that we could study? Because there are an awful lot of choices that you have, and there's nobody in the entire world that can know everything and learn everything there is to know. And there's now so much more information at our fingertips. I marvel that in my hand, when I hold my phone, I can Google and find anything. Mm-hmm. And so, but we have we have that area, the second sphere, and then the third third sphere are things that. Not everybody's going to do that. Everybody's going to have certain particular things. And so we kept that in our minds from the very, very first day that we started. And when we see somebody like I talk about delight centered learning, you'd help with that path. Molly spent hours practicing. Did she have basic information, you know, that she needed to go to school? Yes. But the biggest thing for her was being able to play the piano. And when she um, got married, I she wanted her piano teacher, Mr. Flower, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, I do. He, she wanted him, the one number one thing, she wanted him to come and play the organ for the wedding. So when we sat him at the table, we were putting him, you know, he came by himself. We put him with her piano teacher that she'd had in her later years of high school who was a delightful young woman from Poland who had just fantastic skill. And Molly had had to audition for her. She was hard. But Mr. Flower told her Molly was the best prepared piano performance major he'd ever had. Uh How did that happen? The Lord put this person in her path because the Lord knows what her future would be. He knew. Right. And so that was what we did. And Clayton, when he wanted to study law, he started studying at home. And he had, I think it was his third year of law school, he uh, did some apprenticing with a man that we knew through our Toastmasters Club. Gave him absolutely, we didn't think Clayton would be that interested in criminal law. That's what that man did. Well, this is what he does mostly now. The Lord had that plan in mind. And I think you have to remember that we don't see all those things down the road, of course, Mm -hmm. but the Lord did put certain interests and desires and abilities and gifts in your kids. 
And so when you see that, that's the path you really need to follow. If we had had someone who wanted to study medicine, that would have been the emphasis. And we have friends who now their second child is heading to medical school. They emphasized all of that math and all of the science because those kids were directed that way. They were driven that way. So mm -hmm. we had skills. Like I mentioned, the public speaking, taking them to a Toastmasters club. Most of our kids went through that, and it was a great skill. We have another son who was really interested in business, and he was able to do some things like work here at a restaurant where he got into a management position, went on to school. His emphasis is business. We have another child. Who's, we, you know, Three of our kids are artists, and this young man wanted to study music and get into the music industry, so he went to school for that. Long period of time, another kid did not know what he wanted to do and just recently is studying drafting. But it, each of them are, are looking at things that they really love and really enjoy, and that's what we've encouraged. Mm -hmm. You want people to be able to enjoy whatever it is that they're doing for their life's work. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You have to work hard. But you also want to be able to like what you're doing and also be able to see where you fit in God's kingdom with what you're doing. Right. And so it, it's hard. The high school years are hard. There is so much pressure right now that everybody has got to take all the same subjects. You've got to be on a college route. Mm -hmm. And yet the biggest need right now in our culture, the biggest by far, that's going to be the future of jobs for kids is going to be having being somewhere in the service industry and having a skilled in the trades. Mm -hmm. yeah, and sure. that is not secondary. That in my mind right now would be primary. If right. you, especially if you have somebody who is, as my dad used to say, mechanically inclined, mm -hmm. you have someone that tinkers that someone loves, looking at things from a Lego perspective. Mm -hmm. And you need to encourage that because not only is this where the jobs are going to be, but it's also pretty good pay. And especially mm -hmm. when you start considering any college debt and how many years you're behind to pay that off. Right. And I'm, work I'm working right now on a second book that talks about the 10 principles that you need to consider when you're homeschooling that are, to me, more valuable, that will take you and propel you ahead to any job you have. But one of them is, you know, one of the things I talk about is that this need for other kinds of positions for jobs. So I, I think people are starting to wake up and look at this. I know I was watching an episode of This Old House one day and on PBS, and I love that, where they take an old house and really redo it all. And they were saying how they cannot find skilled craftsmen in woodworking and that they offer now apprenticeships for this. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of things, if your children... You need to kind of see what they're interested in. Just going off to college, just to go off to college, is really a foolish choice. Yes, I totally agree with you. And, and I think you're right. I think people are starting to kind of see this. And hopefully, as time goes on, they'll wake up to it even more because truly, it is such a need, the trades. And we have to stop looking at that as though it's some sort of lesser choice. Absolutely. You know, that's just really a shame because it requires a lot of, of intellect and skill to work with your hands and to do some of these things. I mean, you're not any kind of a, a dummy if you go into the trades because there's some very high-level types of jobs that really require some skill. But that doesn't mean you have to go into debt and go to college in order to be able to do that. So why not yes. skip that part and just go straight into earning a living and being productive in society? Absolutely. You know, it makes sense. And, you know, obviously not everybody can go that route. If you want to be a lawyer, you're going to have to go to college. 
Um, but I do think that a lot more kids should really explore that avenue. And then also you have to consider all of the opportunities online now. There are so many opportunities for entrepreneurship online, and that's another huge growing area. Um, just software development, um, game development even, and so many of, um, you know, you have sites like Fiverr and these different sites where you can actually start a business and sell your services through the Internet. So there's just so many opportunities. We have to start thinking outside of the box like that. We really do. I think that that's wise. And I do believe more homeschoolers may be starting to see this. I hope that, and I don't know, I was told that less than 10% of homeschoolers go to conventions anymore, which I think wow. that's probably pretty accurate. We used to go, but I do think that that's true. I've met so many homeschoolers that have never been to one. So there is a connection Online, you can find information about anything that you might want to learn. Mm -hmm. And seeing how you can turn this into making a living, that's the next step, and sometimes that's hard. We have kids that have very entrepreneurial spirits. And so my husband has worked in industry. He, he's an electrical planner. He's done this for most of his career. So watching his kids kind of do these things themselves on their own has been kind of fascinating to us. But I think part of it has been that you have an environment in your home that sparks that creativity. Right. Well, I think as we wrap up, I want to just end with one question. This might be kind of a, a loaded question. But what do you see as one of the biggest problems in the homeschooling movement today? As someone who's kind of been in this for quite a few years, is there anything that really concerns you nowadays? Well, I think we touched on one of the big things, and that's having your children, saying it's homeschool, but having them educated any place but home. Mm -hmm. I feel that that's, that's one of the biggest challenges right now. I think there are some good things, as I said, that can come out of that. I think deciding that you're going to have public school in your house, allowing the public school agenda and their list of subjects and their priorities to, to fill your calendar to, to deter, help determine what you're going to do is really a mistake. The grade level idea that this has got to be like the grades are in school, letting that inform what you do, I think, is probably the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. And I understand how hard that is. It shouldn't be so hard now because homeschooling is pretty mainstream. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Homeschooling doesn't have to prove itself to anybody. Mm -hmm. I think another challenge that we have is that we really have to be on our toes. We should not take our homeschooling freedoms for granted. In the state of Illinois, we have had absolutely the best, the best laws, but they are being challenged. And even now, there is a legislator who is in southern Illinois determined that we're going to have government run school, public school, that or homeschooling, that their public school will have oversight over us. Oh, wow. And it is just frightening that they will choose our curriculum and will be able to come to our home anytime they want to. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of stuff that, that I think we're seeing all over the country. I think it's being driven by a group of disgruntled, former homeschoolers who are so mad about homeschooling that they are working hmm. within the legislatures around the country and trying to accentuate any kind of abuses. Like, for instance, if we hear a story where somebody has had their kids were killed or whatever, like the story of that family in California with all those right. kids they kept inside, right. they try to use that as what a standard of homeschoolers looks like hmm. in order to take away our freedoms. And it's very discouraging when you've been doing this for all these years, I think 40-some years ago, 
the people that I knew in Iowa who were sacrificing things to get these freedoms. And so we have to be diligent and not take that for granted. And I'm with some other former homeschool moms who are now grandmas who are watching these things in our state. And I hope every state has moms like this who are ready and willing to just jump right in and do whatever we can to ward these things off. Watching these laws as they come up, these bills. And so I don't think we can take that for granted. And I did want to say one thing. I think this maybe is the most important thing. We have got to trust God with our children. And we have got to trust that his plan is so much bigger than we can see beyond our sink full of dishes and our pile of math manipulatives. God is bigger. He's got a bigger picture than this. Time doesn't mean anything to God. That's that's so important to remember. And I I love this story. This is just, to me, it's the picture of what we need to remember. Back in the 1930s, there was a man, and his name was Torzak Zelensky. And he lived out... Um, west of here, you know, west in um, the Dakotas. He was part of helping build Mount Rushmore. And he had this vision. What if he could have a monument to the Indian chief, Crazy Horse, and have it on the side of a mountain just like Mount Rushmore? So he started in 1930 working through all of the government red tape and getting permission to have this monument and finding a place. Finally, in 1948, he started building the Crazy Horse Memorial. Now, to understand how big this is, the head of the, the presidents, those heads are just a little over 60 feet tall oh. at Mount Rushmore. The Indian chief, Crazy Horse, in the memorial, he sits on top of his horse, and his arm is outstretched. Well, his head alone is over 80 feet tall. Mm, wow. So this memorial is being built, and so far there's a primitive edge of his head you can make out, and and then underneath it there's a primitive part to the horse, um, but not all by any means carved out. And then his arm pointing outward is a very straight, smooth area that's like a line, but it's a road where you can see, if you watch them, some of the dunk trucks driving across this arm to get this loads of this rock and carry it off. Wow. They have been working for 71 years. Hmm. His family has been working on this generation after generation. They take no government funds. They do this independently. Hmm. And they take donations to help this go. But when he did this, he knew he would never see this memorial finished. He knew he would never see it built. And the next generation, his children, the same thing. They knew they'd get up every morning, go up the lift to go up and start blowing, put the dynamite in to blow this mountain apart to build this monument. They knew they would never see it finished. His grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, the same thing. They go to work there every day, and they do their part, but they know they're never going to see the finished product. And when I understood that, I thought, this is a picture of what we do as homeschoolers. We get up every morning, and we do what our part is, and the big picture is God's kingdom. But we have this very small part to do. Mm-hmm. And we work at it. And now I see some fruit. I have grandchildren. I have 15 grandchildren. In one shape or another, they're all being homeschooled. But And each one, it looks different than what I did. But I look at that, and I don't know where they're going. And I don't know what the great-grandchildren will do. But I trust that God called us to homeschool and to be diligent and persevere 
in what we did, knowing I'm never going to see the end product, but I trust him for it. Mm. And I think that's what we have to remember. That's the biggest challenge every day. Yeah, that's so true. What a beautiful illustration. I just love that, Karen. Thanks for sharing that. And thank you for being on our show today. I've just so enjoyed our time. I wish it didn't have to end. I wish we could just talk all afternoon. <laughs> well, I love chatting with you, and I'm glad we finally got to do this. I look forward listening to the podcast yes i'm glad we got to talk too and for our listeners i just want to remind you one more time karen's book is called the joy of relationship homeschooling when the one another's come home and you can find that i would assume just on i know i got mine off amazon is is that you can get it on amazon you can get it on rainbow resource they sell it and also if you want to check out my blog it's kind of been sad the last year or two. Well, it's understandable. Yeah. Um, Thatmom.com. Thatmom.com. When I saw that, I thought, wow, she's had that a while because you can get a URL that good nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) So be sure you check out Karen's site as well, thatmom.com. Thanks again, Karen. This has been just a real pleasure. This is really great. And Danielle, when you get this ready to go, send me the link and everything and I will promote it for you. And I'd love to promote your podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And that's life as a life schooler. I hope you all will join us next time. 